All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. How many of you inside would agree with me that the folks outside got the better deal this morning? And it is a beautiful day out there. Well done, you folks outside. Praise God. Hey, that looks good. We almost thought about switching it this morning. We went out to set up the speaker. We thought, what if we put the camera out there, put the pulpit out there, and if anybody, this becomes the overflow area. We would stream and put the picture up on the screen. That I think we'd all end up outside, right? That would, that would be the way to do it right there. Luke chapter 1, let's begin by reading verses 1 to 4. Luke 1, verses 1 to 4. As you can see, the title of this morning's sermon is Most, Most Excellent Theophilus. However, this is an introduction uh, sermon, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. By the grace of God, we'll be spending several weeks now going through this Gospel passage by passage. Verse number 1 says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they have delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. If you would please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the, uh, the great singing this morning. Thank you that we have something so wonderful to sing about. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleansed us and washed us from our sins. Thank you for the great love that made it all possible. Please help us now as we open the Bible. Lord, we ask that you also open our hearts. Prepare us to receive what it is you'd, you have prepared for us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, my desire is that through the week I've been praying about a, a way in which I could bring the Lord Jesus Christ to the center of our attention. And as I prayed and thought about that, I thought, what better way to do that than to go through one of the Gospels, preaching through that Gospel, verse by verse, passage by passage, and God brought my attention to the Gospel of Luke to accomplish that purpose. I have never taught this book, verse by verse. I've never preached through it. I've preached from it many times. It's a very unique book. It's the longest book in the New Testament. Luke his writings, he wrote, obviously, the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. So Luke is responsible for about one-fourth of the New Testament. And it will do us very well, I believe, to go through this Gospel bit by bit. I can think of no better way to spend our time on a Sunday morning focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, His life, His teaching, His preaching, eventually His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension back to heaven. The meat of this series will obviously get started next week as we get into verse 5. I fully believe that Luke wrote this entire gospel and then went back and added verses 1 to 4 after he had finished everything he wrote these, this actually one long sentence. If you look at the punctuations there, it's just one sentence. And he's now addressing the book to this man, most excellent Theophilus. So allow me this, this service to just uh, help you make your introductions with the Gospel of Luke just for a moment. Uh, you'll hold your place here. I'd like to turn you to the book of Acts, chapter 16, another one of Luke's wonderful writing achievements, Acts chapter 16, 
And there's three things I want to make mention of this morning, and you have your outline there. Numbers 1, 2, and 3, we're going to talk about the author of the gospel. Then we're going to talk about the audience of this gospel. And then we're going to talk about the aim of this gospel. So first of all, the author. Now, the early church unanimously agreed that this man, Luke, was the writer of the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. It's only been in the last couple of centuries that certain scholars raised a few questions about it, but the early church had no question. As best we can tell, Luke came from Syria, Antioch of Syria, but even there, we're not precisely sure. The Bible doesn't give us that information. We're relying on some history books for that. Some people say that Luke was one of the 70 that was sent out by Jesus. You might remember that story after the 12 were sent out. Then later, Jesus sent out 70. They also had the ability to perform miracles and preach in Jesus' name. That is only found in the Gospel of Luke, interestingly enough. And some people have said that Luke might have been one of those 70. I have great doubts about that. I do not think he was one of the 70. And I think today you'll see that even in what we read, Luke distinguishes himself from the eyewitnesses. He talks about the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and ministry as a different group. He is not a part of it. Had he been one of the 70, he very much would have been an eyewitness himself. Some say that he was a Hellenized Jew, which is to say he was Jewish by birth, but then had Greek culture, that he grew up in a Greek culture, spoke the language, knew their ways. Uh, there's also the line of thinking that he was a Gentile that at some point converted to Judaism. It's difficult biblically to prove one way or the other. Luke does not spend any time talking about his own background. There is a verse, however, in Colossians chapter 4 that seems to indicate Luke was not Jewish, but it's not a clear reference. So I'm going to leave that with a question mark. Either way, we know this, that Luke was converted to Christianity, no matter his background, and became a companion of the Apostle Paul. As you read through the book of Acts... Right? It is a history book of the earliest church. And it's a story, the first several chapters are about Peter, and then the focus shifts to Paul. Right about Acts 15, there's a bit of a transition from Peter to Paul. And in chapter 16, verses 1 down to 8, what you see there is uh, it's talking about Paul in the third person. He, it'll say they, talking about Paul and his group. But then let's start reading at verse 6. It says, now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed, that means they tried, to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Verse 8, and they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. Just notice the third person pronoun, they. Do you see that? Luke, he's the writer of this, but he's acknowledging I'm not part of that group. I wasn't traveling with them. Watch what happens as we continue reading. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us, for to preach the gospel unto them. Do you see the shift in the pronoun? 
They becomes we. So somewhere right about here, some people even say Luke was from Troas because that's the last place that you find mentioned in verse 8, which there's really no other historical evidence for that. But it's somewhere in these journeys, Luke met up with Paul. Maybe that's where he was converted, listening to the apostle Paul preach, and he becomes one of Paul's companions. We know this from the scripture that Luke was a medical doctor. In Colossians chapter 4, I've given you the verse on your paper Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greets you. So Luke was a doctor. We assume, and this, there is some history for this, that he was medically trained in Greece as he was growing up and, of course, uh, coming into his own. So he was a doctor. He eventually became an evangelist, a missionary companion of Paul. And then as life went on, he became a historian. And as we now know from the Bible, he was most certainly an author. History tells us that Luke died in Greece. He was a martyr and that he was hung in an olive tree by those that hated the gospel. All of that is according to tradition. Uh, take your Bible to Acts chapter 21. Luke, as he traveled with Paul, can you imagine with me for a moment the stories that he could tell? The things that he got to see the apostle Paul do he was there firsthand, no doubt, taking notes as an educated man. His mind would have worked like that. We know he was a note taker. We have the Gospel of Luke. We have the book of Acts. He's paying attention to everything Paul says. He's hearing these stories, not only from Paul, but I want to show you now in Acts chapter 21, he escorted Paul or went with Paul to Jerusalem. Uh, come with me to, let's come on down a little bit. Verse 18, let's start there. Acts 21, verse 18. This is when Paul went to Jerusalem against the advice of the saints and of the Spirit. It says, In the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And then the story goes that Peter and James have this, com or, I'm sorry, Paul and James have this conversation. Paul ends up arrested. I just want you to see again, there's the us. Luke was there. Luke got to sit down with James, the Lord's brother, and have personal conversations with him and any other apostle that was still in Jerusalem at this time. The reason I point this out is to say that Luke would have had first-hand accounts. This is not something he heard from a guy who heard from a guy who heard from a guy. He was able to walk with Paul for many years and then go right back to where everything started. Now, folks, you and I, we've been able to read the Bible for years now. We're familiar with the stories of Jesus, I hope. And it's a wonderful thing. I, th I know some of you have had the privilege of going to Israel, walking the land there, actually going to these places that Jesus was. That is an outstanding experience. And I wish all of us would get to do that at some point. One day we will, by the way. We might have glorified bodies by that point, but we will see Israel eventually, right? If it's at only at the second coming, at least then. But wouldn't it be something if during your visit to Israel, the apostles were still there? Wouldn't that be a tremendous experience to get to sit down at the feet of the apostles and say, tell me these stories about Jesus. What we have in the Gospels is a tremendous account. We have plenty of details to keep us busy for the rest of our lives. We could never exhaust the deep well of knowledge and information in the Gospels. But it, it would take it to another level 
to have Peter, James, John, Andrew, to have these men explaining these things in its fullest detail. Every step that Jesus took, they would have been familiar with it. What a privilege Luke would have had at that moment. Now let's shift our focus. If you would come back to the book of Luke, chapter 1. Just introducing you briefly to Luke. That was the author. Now let's talk about the audience. You can see at the end of verse 3, he is writing to the most excellent Theophilus. The word Theophilus means lover of God. Lover of God. Philo is the Greek word. Uh, that's the root of it for love or lover. And then theo, theos is the Greek word for God. So Theophilus is a lover of God or a God lover. Uh, this phrase though, most excellent, that was a phrase that you would use for somebody that was a dignitary. Some, somebody with a position of authority. You would address them as the most excellent. So some people have suggested that Luke wrote this gospel to any lover of God, which I hope, I hope today there are many of them here. I hope that you qualify as Theophilus to, a, to an extent, right? But because of the use of the phrase most excellent, it makes it look like this man, Theophilus, was just that, an actual individual person that held a great position of authority in some Gentile country. We can assume that this person had been led to Christ, most likely by the Apostle Paul. And I say that he was discipled, most likely by Paul, because in verse 4 it says at the end, wherein thou hast been instructed. So he had heard about and learned about the life, the teachings, the preaching, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, most likely from Paul or one of the other apostles. And now this Theophilus wants to know more. Think with me for a moment about what you've read in the Gospels. And I'm only going to give you a, a quick sample of it. We read in the book of Luke that after Jesus did one miracle, the people exclaimed, What a word is this! Simply by saying the word, the unclean spirits could come out of a man. And the people watching said, What a word is this! Never had they seen such power, such authority in anybody's word. He could just speak it. And it would immediately happen. What a word is this? In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus calmed the wind and the waves and the disciples said, what manner of man is this? That's a great question. In John chapter 7, the soldiers that were sent to arrest Jesus, after they heard him speak, those soldiers came back empty-handed, not having arrested Jesus. And when asked by the Pharisees, what happened? Why didn't you bring him? Their answer was, never man spake like this man. We, we, we couldn't bring ourselves to touch him. The way he talked, the things he said, never man spake like this man. In Mark 7, after he healed the deaf and the dumb person, the Bible says the people standing there said, he hath done all things well. I think that might be one of the best summary statements of the life of Christ that you'll find. He has done all things well. The compliments that we can give Jesus, the exclamations we can make, go as far as not just Jews, not just followers of Christ, but even Roman centurions got on board with this. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished, the ground began to shake, 
and a Roman centurion even piped up and said, certainly this was a righteous man. Truly this was the Son of God. Now after you know, right, that people said these kind of things, imagine hearing all these stories. Jesus did this. Jesus said that. This is how the people responded. Not just the disciples, but even just the general crowd. Even the Roman soldiers were getting on board. You know what I would say? Tell me more. <laughs> That's what I wanted to tell me more. On our recent trip to Cape Town, we stepped into a uh, special little, I thought it was a, chocolate, a chocolatier. It's vacation, right? Don't judge me. <laughs> I went into this chocolate chest, man, I, I loves me some dark chocolate. Oh, man, I like dark chocolate. That's no secret. I've told you that here before. I went into there, and they said, no, sorry, this isn't a dark chocolate shop, particularly. It is a licorice shop. I said, ooh, praise God, it's a twofer because I happen to like licorice quite a bit. And this lady began to pull out the various licorices that she had. And she had one, this wonderful licorice, no gluten in it. I'm trying to avoid that. And she said, it, it's, it's fairly good for you. A little bit of sugar, but not so bad. And it's covered in dark chocolate. <laughs> I said, I, if you take the lid off, I might see the glory of God coming out of that, <laughs> that can. I thought, man, this is, this is yes, yeah, one of those moments. But this is great. I found the Holy Grail. Here we go. And, and she said, would you like to try one? I thought, man, is an elephant fat? Absolutely, I'd like to try one. So I tried one. I thought, oh, man, I don't even need to ask the price. This is really, really good. I want me a can of this. And I said, here's my one problem with these sweets is I'm going to eat the whole can in one go. I, I don't think I could stop myself. It tastes so good. She said, no, no, sir, trust me, trust me. You eat three and they're so sweet and so nice, just three, and that's enough. You'll be satisfied after three. I said, all right, well, you got me. I'll, I'll go for your sales pitch. If you say three's enough, then I'll, I'll try them. So I bought myself a can, took it home that night, opened it up, and thought, just three. It took three out, lit on the can, set it aside. I even finished my dinner first, kids. Always eat your dinner and your vegetables before you get the sweets. And then I thought, all right, just three. One. <laughs> two <laughs> last one I actually sucked the chocolate off the last one I made it last I did mm, mm, mm. three man I'm not satisfied <laughs> that lady lied to me three is not enough where's that can <laughs> I went to the can I thought two more will be just fine <laughs> so I took two more Two more wasn't enough, and then I had to bring in a little bit of self-restraint and temperance and discipline and said, put the can aside, man, otherwise you're going to eat the whole thing. What's my point in sharing that embarrassing story with you? <laughs> when something is good, you want more of it. Amen? When something's good, you want more of it. And when Theophilus begins to hear about how good the Lord Jesus Christ is and how his word is so powerful and he's done all things well and he's a righteous man and he went about doing good and what a manner of man is this. Never a man spake like this man. What do we want? Tell me more. Bring that can over here. I, I, I want to finish off the can. I want to know everything I can know about this man. Don't spare any details. I want to know the whole story behind him. 
I can imagine this is just me picturing in my mind Theophilus sitting in the room with Paul listening to the stories about Jesus because Paul would have learned them from Peter and the other apostles. Paul would have been familiar with them. Luke would have known them by traveling with Paul. There's Theophilus hearing these stories and Luke can see how hungry Theophilus is to learn more. This Jesus guy sounds amazing. Tell me more. And as Theophilus sits at the table saying, Paul, but what about this? What did Jesus do there? How did he respond to this? What was Jesus' teaching on that? Question after question after question. I know that's how it goes because when people get saved, they get hungry for the Word. As a newborn babe, they desire the sincere milk of the Word that they might grow. And there's Theophilus going, oh, please give me more, feed me more. I can't get enough of this knowledge. I, I want to grow in my knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and while Theophilus is talking to Paul, asking these questions, Luke, sitting by the side, taking notes, says, you know what? I can do something about this. He has a lot of questions that could very well be answered if I were to take the necessary trips, meet the necessary people, get all the sources together, I could write down a complete document detailing everything Jesus did and taught. The audience that Luke had was a hungry, want-to-know-more lover of God. I wonder today if you could be that Theophilus. The next time you open your Bible, approach it as Theophilus. You've been instructed. You've learned already. You know what a Christian should believe. Don't let that be enough. I've been instructed, yes. Now I want to know more. I want to go through these Gospels over and over again. We sing the song, more about Jesus would I know. More of His grace to others show. I want to know more about Him. That's our audience. I would hope that one day, even now, you can become the same audience. It is impossible for us right now today to sit physically at the feet of Jesus. But we have something that comes awfully close. And interestingly enough, it is in the Gospel of Luke that we have the story, and only in Luke's Gospel, that we have the story of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said she has chosen that good part that will not be taken from her. We don't have Jesus physically here, but we do have a very detailed and certain account of his life, his teaching, his preaching, everything he did right here in front of us. So we, we can't sit at his feet, but we can sit at his word and soak it up. Let's move now to the third thing, the aim the aim of this gospel. What was the point? I've already touched on it a little bit. I've tried to draw that mental picture of Luke hearing Theophilus hungry for the word and saying, I can do something about that. Luke had the intelligence. He had the intellect. He knew how to study. He was a medical doctor. He was well aware of details and the importance thereof. You can see in verse 4 that thou mightest know the certainty of those things. Theophilus knew some of the stories. Now Luke says, I will go verify them all for you. I don't want you to think that these are fairy tales or folklore or as Yella say, the Ofro, the Ofro stories. 
These are real things that happened in history. Have you ever thought about this word incredible? Incredible. You know the word, no doubt. You've probably used it many times yourself, but let's break that word down. It's two words put together, actually. It's a prefix, in, which negates what comes next. Credible. The word credible means able to be believed. It's believable. So when we say it's incredible, we're saying it's unbelievable. Now, sometimes we use that as an exclamation of how amazing that thing is, right? But when you really think about what you're saying, it is incredible. You're saying, I'm not able to believe that. It's my, you would think of it like the word inaction or invisible, right? So we put incredible, it is not credible. When you hear the stories about Jesus, now think for a moment. Think about these stories. There was a man dead four days and Jesus said, come forth, and he did. There's a man with leprosy. No one is allowed to come within several meters of this man. Jesus walked to the man, touched him, and said, I will be thou clean. Immediately the leprosy was gone. Jesus could simply say to the wind and the waves, peace be still, and it was all calm immediately. Jesus stood on the mount and his face began to shine like the sun and Moses and Elijah came down and stood with him and began to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection. These stories are fantastic. They are incredible. You know what Luke set out to do? Make them credible. He said, these stories are so amazing. It would be hard for somebody to believe them so I'm going to go and check all the sources. I'll go back to the eyewitnesses, the people that were there, and I'll verify these stories so that you can know what you've heard is not just a fairy tale. It's not just folklore or mythology. These things are rooted and grounded in history, in reality. There was a man named Jesus. He did walk the earth. He said these things. He did these things. This is not just us making up a fancy story about him. Luke, he had many sources. You can see in verse 1 and 2. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Notice that the things these early Christians believed, they believed most surely. That means they had already been verified. They had been checked, cross-checked, double-checked, triple-checked. Matthew, what do you got? Mark, what did you say? John, what about you? And I would say, when he says many have set in order, this is more than just Matthew, Mark, and John, our other Gospels. No doubt the other apostles were writing something. Now, please don't get this confused with what we call pseudepigrapha. That means false writings. That's like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Peter or Barnabas. Those are false Gospels. They were written in the, in the 200s, some of them in the 100s. The church never accepted them. We're talking about reliable sources. Luke was able to check out, presumably, the other Gospels. Luke would have been written right about 64 A.D., the Gospel of Luke. And the other writers had already written things down, which means Luke's Gospel came probably last, maybe even after the Gospel of John. Luke might have been last. Paul quotes the Gospel of Luke in 1 Timothy chapter 5, which means Luke's Gospel was completed by about 64 A.D. 
Well, this tells us something, that other people were already writing things down before Luke started to write. The information we have about Jesus did not come 100 or 200 years later. It came fresh. Shortly after these things had happened, people were still alive. They could verify the stories. Very reliable information. I already showed you the verse in Acts 21. Luke could have met James, the Lord's brother. Now let me ask you this. What kind of information do you think James could have given Luke? He grew up with Jesus. Don't you know he had some stories to tell? Some very interesting stories. There's a very high likelihood that Luke actually met Mary. And I'll tell you why I say that. It's only in Luke's gospel that goes all the way back to pre-Mary. You have Elizabeth and Zacharias, the cousin of Mary. You have all these details about how Mary met the angel. You don't get that in any other gospel. You have the details about Mary and what she proclaimed before she gave birth as, as when she met Elizabeth. That would have been something very private to Mary. And in Luke chapter 2, you have the birth, of course. That's not recorded in any other gospel, not the details of it. You have the circumcision of Jesus only in the gospel of Luke. That would have been something private to Mary. And then in Luke chapter 3, you have the genealogy of Mary only in Luke chapter 3, nowhere else in the Bible. There's a very big possibility that he met with Mary. In Luke chapter 8, if you want to just flip over to that quickly. You see, the aim of Luke is to be accurate so that we could be certain. And I'm showing you that he did his homework. Luke was thorough. Luke chapter 8, verse 3. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. This was one of the ladies that walked with Jesus. He had female disciples and Susanna and many others and so forth. The reason I point out Joanna, she's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, only in the Gospel of Luke. And it's only in the Gospel of Luke that we read the story of Jesus going into Herod, standing before Herod, and ending up mocked by that king. It's only in this Gospel. So Joanna evidently offered some very inside information. Luke did his homework. They often say that John is the most unique gospel. And I agree. The information you find in John is very unique to John. That's true. Luke, they call it one of the synoptics because it, it, it tells many of the same stories as Matthew and Mark. But did you know, I went through it one day, there are 33 events, parables, miracles, whatever it is, 33 things in the gospel of Luke you won't find in any other gospel which is one of the reasons it's the longest book in the New Testament. It's filled with interesting, fresh, new information that no one else would have been privy to. Luke did his homework. Come back to Luke chapter 1 now. I want you to notice one other phrase in verse 3. So he had access, forgive me, verse 2. He had access to the eyewitnesses, you can see there. He had access to what they had written. And then in verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding. He had the whole story. Perfect understanding. Complete. He wasn't missing any part of it. Perfect understanding of all things from the very first. Now listen, if you have perfect understanding, that means you've not only checked out your human sources, but you've also checked it with God. You not only have the witness of men, but as the Bible tells us, the witness of God is greater. So yes, what 
the stories that men are telling you are checking out. It's, it's true, it's lining up. But also as Luke prays about it and says, Lord, show me, help me, how does this story go? The Holy Spirit is also guiding him. As a matter of fact, in some people, that phrase where it says from the very first, some have retranslated that to say from above. The Greek could actually mean that. I'm very happy with from the first. I see no need to change that. Because even in the phrase perfect understanding, this means he has the human wisdom worked out, but also heavenly wisdom. Luke was led by the Spirit. Most likely, the Spirit led him to check all the human sources, to do his homework. He said, guys, I have perfect understanding in this. And that's why I think God is tasking me, he's calling me to write all of this down. You might be familiar with this name, Carl Sagan, early 1900s, Carl Sagan, he made this statement, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. You've heard that before? Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And to that, I, I agree, actually, for the most part. I think there are some exceptions to that, but I agree with the sentiment. Yes, if you're going to make a big claim, you better have some big evidence to back it up. In the book of Acts, it actually starts off by saying, I'm telling you about the infallible proofs that Jesus gave. Luke is well aware that when you make a claim to know who the Messiah is, you better come with some big evidence. And you better do your homework. I don't know of any work of history that has been as scrutinized as Luke's work. Of all the ancient historians, Luke has been put through the ringer because he gave so many details that could be verified. Most of, most of these other ancient documents, they tell the stories without a lot of details. You can't go back and check it out. But with Luke, you can. There was a man named William Ramsey. You can see I've given you one of his quotes on the bottom of your outline. William Ramsey was a skeptic, many say an atheist. According to what we read, he, he was an atheist. He was an archaeologist by trade. And William Ramsey set out in 1880 to go to the Mediterranean area there by Greece and he was going to retrace the Apostle Paul's steps. He had the book of Acts in one hand and a compass in the other and said, I am going to retrace what Luke wrote in Acts and I'm going to prove that that book is wrong because no one could have gotten all these details right. I will find the mistake and overthrow the scriptures. By the time his journey was over, Sir William Ramsey said, I am now a Christian. He said, no other historian has ever been so accurate. He said, of all the ancient historians that have ever been, it is arguably Luke that is the greatest. And I quote, he said, you may press the words of Luke in a degree beyond any other historian's. They actually said at one point, every, it seems that every time we turn the shovel over, we're finding something else that proves Luke was right. That's how certain the information is that we have in his writings. Might I read together with you the quote at the bottom of your outline? This is from Sir Ramsey. He says, Further study showed that the book could bear the most minute scrutiny as an authority for the facts of the Aegean world and that it was written with such judgment, skill, art, and perception of truth as to be a model 
of historical statement. He said, if you want to look for proper historical work, look to Luke. That's how you do it. What was his aim? To give Theophilus something he could trust. And what I want to leave you with this morning is telling you that today when you sit down to your Bible, you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, no, but this is as good as it can get. You have something written not just by Luke, but led by the Holy Spirit of God. So not that you can doubt and wonder, is this how it happened, but be certain. This is what Jesus said, this is what he did, and this is what he intends for your life. Luke took the incredible and made it credible without subtracting from its power or its glory. The story of Jesus didn't become academic. It's just as, as majestic as it ought to be, and yet every bit believable. I hope today that you become that Theophilus, that God stirs in your heart that hunger, that desire to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find what you need in the Gospels and especially in the Gospel of Luke. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You know, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, he has told the story of where Jesus came from, how he worked and lived and ministered for three and a half years. And the book ends with the people of God gathering in the temple, praising God, blessing God, worshiping together. That's the desire Luke has for us. Here's the story of Jesus. Now let's worship Him. Maybe in your mind you've had some doubts. You've heard the stories about Jesus. But you think it can't be that good. You've heard people say, Never man spake like this man. There's no one like Jesus. You've heard the stories. How about today you find out for yourself that there's no one like him? You say, Pastor, I've been saved. I've been discipled. I've been instructed. Maybe I even went to Bible school. Friend, the journey doesn't end there. Oh, Theophilus, please find that place in your heart that wants to know more about Jesus. Feed that desire. Grow in your knowledge of Him. Might I ask anybody inside or outside, if you've never been saved, if, if you don't know the Lord Jesus personally, I would like to pray for you. I'm not going to point you out. I won't embarrass you. But would you be willing to just, you can put your hand up and put it right back down. Just say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I'd like to know Jesus personally. Anybody like that? I'm looking outside as well in case there's a hand that would pop up. Anybody say, Pastor, just pray for me. Thank you. I appreciate that honesty. Anyone else say, Pastor, just pray for me. Thank you for the honesty. Thank you. For those of you that have been saved and instructed, let's stir up our hearts to be Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus. Father, thank you for your grace and help this morning. Help us, God, to be that Theophilus, to have that hunger, that desire to know you more.
to know you in a certain way. And Lord, for those that raise the hand, not sure that they know you personally, might this be the day that they accept you into their heart, that you become their Lord and Savior. I can think of no greater end to a church service than the Lord Jesus saving a soul. Lord, I pray that even later today you'd meet with us again. Feed us more from your word. We thank you for what you've done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time this morning. Six o'clock tonight, we do have Bible school. And there will be.